This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7. Wow. Which has a completely redesigned, and I say wow because I've used Squarespace before, and this is, it's insane that they're on their seventh platform, which is amazing. Imagine what Square, Squarespace like 13 is going to be. I wonder what that's going to, what do you think it's going to be, Sam? Just a liquid. It's going to be liquid. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, non-liquid. It has integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible new feature called Cover Pages, which may or may not be liquid. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code NATE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. We had a week off, but now we're back. It's reading aloud. Happy New Year, January 2015. I'm Nate Cordry. I'm your host of Reading Aloud. Thanks so much for joining me again for another episode. We have so much good stuff to get to this week. An amazing interview and two wonderful pieces. But before we get to that, let's do... I have some news and notes I want to sort of cover before we get to the stuff uh, first and foremost, uh, book club is coming up. Um, Dennis Johnson's The Laughing Monsters is this month's choice. We have an amazing panel for the book club this month um, that I'm really excited about. Uh, and we record it on the 28th, Wednesday, the 28th of January. So get the book um, and read it. Jot down some notes. Send them to me at readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com. I already have a whole bunch of responses already, and we st we're still t almost two weeks away. Um, so a lot of people are getting on board for the book club, which is great. So far, we've done uh, Wolf and White Van. We did The Love Affairs of Nathaniel P., and this will be our third book club. So join the podcast. Be a part of it. Interact with me. Uh, read The Laughing Monsters and then send us your thoughts. Um, and it's a very different book from the other books that we've worked on. Uh, so there will be some uh, – there will be a nice sort of change in tone if you've been reading the other books, uh, which is exciting. And offer me suggestions for the next book to read. I'm totally open. I want it to be accessible so as many people can join the – book club as as possible. I'm not going to do, you know, infinite jests or something or more in peace because uh, I don't think anyone would want to be a part of that book club. Uh, but uh, send me your suggestions for books that you think a wide variety of people would be interested in. Uh, I'm open to any and all suggestions. So th send those to me along with your thoughts on The Laughing Monsters uh, to readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, the first live show of the new year is coming up uh, on the 25th, Sunday, January 25th at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater here in L.A. on Franklin. It's an amazing lineup. Uh, Brian Stack, uh, who's been, was in the first episode of Reading Aloud, is going to read another piece. Um, uh, Joe McIntyre, Paul Shear, French Stewart, Maria Thayer, uh, Steve Agee, uh, who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting. Oh, Kevin Sussman. Uh, we have new readers. We have uh, uh, readers who I've worked with before. Uh, it's going to be an amazing show. Uh, I'm I'm so excited about this one. So it's the 25th, Sunday the 25th, and it's not a football Sunday. So you football fans, you have no excuse. Come down to the UCB. It's five buck. I mean, who can't pay five buck? Uh, so that's the 25th, and the book club is the 28th. Those are my... Yeah, those are my newsies and notesies. Now let's get to some stories. Uh, the first piece is written by David Sedaris, who we all love. I think this is from Naked. Um, yeah, this is from Naked, uh, which was the first collection of stories that I that I read of his. In I think it came out in 1997, and it's called Jesus Shaves. And John Bowie came into the studio to read it for me, and he's read um, at my live show a bunch of times. He was part of the first book club, 
and he's going to be a part of this next book club. No, he's not. No, I think he's coming back in February. Uh, but he's going to be um, reading this for you now. I've known John for 15, 16 years, um, maybe even longer. He and my brother were in a comedy group together back in New York, and uh, I've known him for so long. I danced wildly at his wedding. I danced like no one was watching at his wedding, in fact. S some people were watching. <laughs> um, uh, there were some really horrible photographs from that wedding that I think John and his wife, Jamie, would like to remove. Um, at any rate, John is a wonderful comedian and actor and writer. He's a super talented guy. <laughs> Are you watching Sam's phone? Are you watching YouTube videos over there? I can't stop. God, all right. Sam's addicted to YouTube videos about marching bands, apparently. Uh, <laughs> um, so John is wonderful, and I'm really glad that he came in and, and uh, read this story for you. It's called Jesus Shaves. It's by David Sedaris, and here is John. Jesus Shaves by David Sedaris. And what does one do on the 14th of July? Does one celebrate Bastille Day? It was my second month of French class, and the teacher was leading us in an exercise designed to promote the use of one, our latest personal pronoun. Might one sing on Bastille Day, she asked? Might one dance in the street? Somebody give me an answer. Printed in our textbooks was a list of major holidays alongside a scattered arrangement of photos depicting French people in the act of celebration. The object was to match the holiday with the corresponding picture. It was simple enough, but seemed an exercise better suited to the use of the word they. I didn't know about the rest of the class, but when Bastille Day eventually rolled around, I planned to stay home and clean my oven. Normally, when working from the book, it was my habit to tune out my fellow students and scout ahead, concentrating on the question I'd calculated might fall to me, but this afternoon, we were veering from the usual format. Questions were answered on a volunteer basis, and I was able to sit back, confident that the same few students would do the talking. Today's discussion was dominated by an Italian nanny, two chatty Poles, and a pouty, plump Moroccan woman who had grown up speaking French and had enrolled in the class to improve her spelling. She'd covered these lessons back in the third grade and took every opportunity to demonstrate her superiority. A question would be asked and she'd give the answer, behaving as though this were a game show and, if quick enough, she might go home with a tropical vacation or a side-by-side -side refrigerator freezer. By the end of her first day, she'd raised her hand so many times her shoulder had given out. Now she just leaned back in her seat and shouted the answers, her bronzed arms folded across her chest like some great grammar genie. We finished discussing Bastille Day, and the teacher moved on to Easter, which was represented in our textbook by a black-and-white photograph of a chocolate bell lying upon a bed of palm fronds. And what does one do on Easter? Would anyone like to tell us? The Italian nanny was attempting to answer the question when the Moroccan student interrupted, shouting, "'Excuse me, but what's an Easter?' Despite her having grown up in a Muslim country, it seems she might have heard it mentioned once or twice, but no. I mean it, she said. I have no idea what you people are talking about. The teacher then called upon the rest of us to explain. The Poles led the charge to the best of their ability. It is, said one, a party for the little boy of God who call his self Jesus and, oh shit, she faltered and her fellow countrymen came to her aid. He call himself Jesus, and then he be die one day on two morsels of lumber. The rest of the class jumped in, offering bits of information that would have given the Pope an aneurysm. He die one day, and then he go above of my head to live with your father. He weared the long hair, and after he died, the first day he come back here for to say hello to the peoples. He nice, the Jesus he make the good things, and on the Easter, we be sad because somebody makes him dead today. Part of the problem had to do with grammar. Simple nouns such as cross and resurrection were beyond our grasp, let alone such complicated reflexive phrases as to give of yourself your only begotten son. Faced with the challenge of explaining the cornerstone of Christianity, we did what any self-respecting group of people might do. We talked about food instead. Easter is a party for to eat of the lamb, the Italian nanny explained. One, two, may eat of the chocolate. 
And who brings the chocolate, the teacher asked. I knew the word, and so I raised my hand, saying, The rabbit of Easter, he bring of the chocolate. My classmates reacted as though I'd attributed the delivery to the Antichrist. They were mortified. A rabbit? The teacher, assuming I'd used the wrong word, positioned her index fingers on top of her head, wiggling them as though they were ears. You mean one of these? A rabbit, rabbit? Well, sure, I said. He come in the night when one sleep on a bed. With a hand, he have the basket and foods. The teacher sadly shook her head as if this explained everything that was wrong with my country. No, no, she said. Here in France, the chocolate is brought by the big bell that flies in from Rome. I called for a timeout. But how do the bell know where you live? Well, she said, how does a rabbit? It was a decent point, but at least a rabbit has eyes. That's a start. Rabbits move from place to place while most bells can only go back and forth, and they can't even do that on their own power. On top of that, the Easter Bunny has character. He's someone you'd like to meet and shake hands with. A bell has all the personality of a cast iron skillet. It's like saying that come Christmas, a magic dustpan flies in from the North Pole, led by eight flying cinder blocks. Who wants to stay up all night so they can see a bell? And why fly one in from Rome when they've got more bells than they know what to do with right here in Paris? That's the most implausible aspect of the whole story, as there's no way the bells of France would allow a foreign worker to fly in and take their jobs. That Roman bell would be lucky to get work cleaning up after a French bell's dog, and even then he'd need papers. It just didn't add up. Nothing, we said, was of any help to the Moroccan student. A dead man with long hair supposedly living with her father, a leg of lamb served with palm fronds and chocolate. Confused and disgusted, she shrugged her massive shoulders and turned her attention back to the comic book she kept hidden beneath her binder. I wondered then if, without the language barrier, my classmates and I could have done a better job making sense of Christianity, an idea that sounds pretty far-fetched to begin with. In communicating any religious belief, the operative word is faith, a concept illustrated by our very presence in that classroom. Why bother struggling with the grammar lessons of a six-year-old if each of us didn't believe that, against all reason, we might eventually improve? If I could hope to one day carry on a fluent conversation, it was a relatively short leap to believing that a rabbit might visit my home in the middle of the night, leaving behind a handful of chocolate kisses and a carton of menthol cigarettes. So why stop there? If I could believe in myself, why not give other improbabilities the benefit of the doubt? I accepted the idea that an omniscient God had cast me in his own image and that he watched over me and guided me from one place to the next. The virgin birth, the resurrection, and the countless miracles, my heart expanded to encompass all the wonders and possibilities of the universe. A bell, though, that's fucked up. Adaptive Books is now presenting the recently published new YA novel, The Silence of Six, from Norton Award-winning author E.C. Myers. Goodreads selected The Silence of Six as one of the five best YA novels this month. What is The Silence of Six? That's what our hero Max Stein tries to figure out after his best friend hacks into a live-streaming presidential debate, asks the candidates the cryptic question, what is The Silence of Six and what are you going to do about it, and then puts a gun to his head and shoots himself on live TV. The Silence of Six is one of the first novels from Adaptive Books, the new publishing imprint of Adaptive Studios, which reimagines abandoned stories from studios, production companies, agencies, and estates for retelling across a wide range of media platforms, including books, comics online, as well as film and television. The Silence of Six is available wherever books are sold, including Amazon, iBooks, BN.com, IndieBound, or your local bookseller. Or go to www.adaptivestudios.com backslash podcast and sign up for the chance to win a free hardcover copy. Do it now. Today's episode of Reading Aloud is brought to you by Bulu Box. Bulu Box is a sample box service. Sample box services have become increasingly popular, and this one is built around your health. So each month, they send you four to five healthy snacks or vitamins, supplements, maybe a fitness DVD, whatever, and then you get to choose which one you like the most, and then you can get a regular-sized version of one of those options, and they send those straight to you. So you get to sort of sample some things, see what you like, 
and then choose the one that you want more of, and then they send it right to you. So, for example, you can get um, this plant-based protein called Garden of Life Raw. It's got zero calories. It's something you take before you go to the gym. And you like that? Well, you've reached out to Blue Box and say, I want more of that. And then they say, okay, let's work it out together. And then they send it to you. It's kind of an amazing service. Also, it's offering you a chance to get $20 off a three-month subscription. And that's three months for just 10 bucks with the promo code NATE. And for every $10 box you get, you get 10 bucks back in reward points. So, so go to bluebox.com, click on the microphone in the top left corner, and enter promo code NATE, N-A-T-E, and here is to discovering a healthier you. Building a website can be very tough, even if you do know your way around coding, which I don't. I don't know what that means. When I think about coding, I just see those nerds in the social network like typing all day long. What a strange life that must be. Uh, building a website is not easy, uh, but the thing is you can get some help. So lucky for us, Squarespace exists to help you build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Never heard of it? Well, go to squarespace.com and check it out. And if you've heard a lot about Squarespace, well, check out Squarespace 7. It comes with a newly designed interface and 15 new templates to work with. They also uh, partnered up with Getty Images, so you have all the Getty Images to use for your website. And uh, it's also hooked up with Google Apps, so you can connect it to your Gmail, Google Drive for cloud storage, um, and much more. There's 24-7 support via live chat and email. Uh, every website comes with a free online store. And it has a very responsive design. It's very easy to use, so your website scales to look great on any device. And it's only 8 bucks a month, and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So you can start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website right this moment. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code NATE, and you get 10% off your first purchase. And that supports Squarespace and also supports reading aloud. So go and do that. And thank you, Squarespace, for the support. It's much appreciated. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. Usually I just break right in after the um, first break into the interview, but I just need to do a little bit of explanation. Right as we were about to record this interview, the fire alarm went off in the Earwolf studios. So we had to delay the interview, and that's going to be referred to in the first few moments of this interview. Um, so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about fire extinguishers. Anyway, here's the interview. Enjoy it. Hi, Henry Winkler here. How are you? Um, I tried the other number. You're in a fire alarm. I am so sorry. I hope everyone is safe. Henry. It's me. We are safe. Thank you. God. Good Lord. Because I'm sitting here with an extinguisher. <laughs> well, that, Henry, that doesn't help us very much. Oh, I see what you mean. I don't think you understand how an, a, a fire extinguisher works. No, no, no. But it, it, I, I wanted you to know that I'm ready to help. <laughs> That's awfully generous of you. I can send it over with a messenger. Hopefully it'll get there before the building is just... On the ground. Yeah. Will you come to my funeral if I... Yeah, I would. Would you? Where would you sit? I, I would sit I would sit behind the family. <laughs> because I, I, I know your brother. Right. I feel, I feel very connected. I think you should sit adjacent to the family. Oh, on the other side. Yeah, not on the same oh. row because... No. Let's follow funeral protocol. Yeah. But I think if you were if you were family adjacent, I think that would be appropriate. Okay, then I'm in. It's going to break my heart that I'm not going to be there to see it. Well, you know what? We will applaud. I will get the entire uh, <laughs> congregation, the entire um, attendees, group of attendees, to applaud really loud, and hopefully you will hear that. Is that a dog barking in the background? That was a dog barking. That was uh, a three-legged German shepherd. What happened to the fourth leg? Uh, we don't know. But uh, his name is Hamlet. Is it, 
Is it missing? It, it completely. Do you think it's gone off and had its own life somewhere? Just as I a... don't. <laughs> that I I I don't even go there. Fair enough. No, I think that leg is is um, was uh, amputated by the doctor. Okay. And uh, I think it's long gone. Is this a, a rescue animal? It was. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Well, no, it's my son. So he went to New York, and so we are the grandparents. And, ah. Uh, of course, he comes to stay with us, your, with our other two dogs. Your dog? That's three dogs. Do they all get that's along? three dogs. And then when my other son comes, there are four. You let four dogs into your house at once? Well, there are five, because my grandson on my daughter, my daughter's family, um, uh, they have a brand new uh, golden doodle. That is really generous of you to open your home to potentially five dogs at one time. I'll tell you what it is. It's a lot of poop scooping. Who does that? I, you I can't do. Be, what? I do. <sighs> wow. Yeah. You're a Yale grad. Well, that doesn't stop you from being the scooper. Henry Winkler graduated from Emerson College, went on to get his MFA from the Yale School of Drama. He's been yeah. on... Countless television series and feature films, as well as extensive theatrical work, including several stints on. I have thoroughly enjoyed his work. He is terrific. I have some more things. You want to hear about him some more? He's a compelling guy. He's an actor, director, producer, and perhaps, most importantly, a children's author. His Hank Zipser series about the world's greatest underachiever has 17 titles. Is that true? 18. A new one just came out. Wow. I can't wait to talk about that one. Thank you. It's about a kid growing up in Manhattan with learning challenges, and it's one of the most successful children's book series going. It's been adapted into a a TV series on the BBC, and is written by Henry and his co-writer, Lynn Oliver. Mm-hmm. Henry himself was diagnosed when he was 31, I believe, as being dyslexic, and spends countless hours talking to kids all over the U.S. and the U.K. about how they can overcome any challenge, and how greatness lies within all children. And he's, he's been kind enough to join me here today on Reading Aloud. Dearest Henry, thank you so much for being here. It is such a pleasure, because can I just say something? Like, we met, yeah. you and I, yes. first, because I always had your brother call you <laughs> after um, I had seen you on Harry's Law. Yes, so that was the first time. That's how we met on the phone. It was, uh, it was ama- the first time he, he called me and said, hey, I have someone who wants to talk to you. It was, uh, it was a thrill. I'm an enormous fan of yours. So to- yeah, well, I was too. That's why I called. Thank you. I, I appreciate the positive reinforcement. It was, it was generous of you to do. Thank you. What is this 18th title? Is this- Okay, the 18th title. Yeah. Hank Zipser is me. And what he does throughout the 17 Hank Zipsers, uh, the world's greatest underachiever, is he writes lists. Mm. And, you know, he says 10 reasons why I can't do my homework, but he can only come up with seven. And so we now have my book of pickles, whoops, I mean lists, where we took the best lists of all the books and then in each category, we added six new lists. So it is a book of lists. Wow. It's a collection of the greatest lists. Plus. And then, uh, now, that's for the third, fourth, and fifth grade. And then we started writing a new series called Here's Hank in the second grade. Hank's in the second grade before he was diagnosed. Oh, wow. So you're kind of going, almost going back in time a bit. Yeah, so uh, we, they are for brand new readers. For um, uh, Wow. You know, uh, and they're in a new font, which I'm very proud of. The Here's Hank uses a font developed by a dad in Holland for his children who have learning challenges. So it makes it easier to um, track mm. the words across the page. How... how uh... How many? How big of a change is it from writing for the fifth, the sixth, seventh grade, as opposed to writing for someone who's in the second grade? Are there words? You know what? It, you know what? It's a really good question because 
we don't think of a younger kid, but one of our problems is uh, word choice. Is sometimes we use words that are beyond right. a second grader, so we have to go back and reword something, and that seems to be the biggest, our biggest problem. We've we've written six so far. Do you have six? Here's Hanks. Do you have like a, a like a like a room of of second graders so you can test the book on to see which words they can handle? Like, who decides which words? Uh, they, the, you know what? The editor, the publisher. Okay. In that... our notes, we always get, this sounds too old. This, do, you know, huh. this doesn't sound right. And that's how, um, so we wait. So we don't edit ourselves. And then we wait for the feedback. But because Lynn and I, Lynn Oliver and I, go around the country and we go into schools, we talk to second graders and third graders and fourth graders, and we listen to them. Gotcha. And we remember our own children, and then I remember what it was like when I was in school and humiliated. How long... I, I, I've read so many interviews that you've done, and you said that you always felt stupid, that you were called stupid, you felt stupid... It's true. Yourself. You, you, you believe what the adults say. That's why I always say you don't joke with a kid. You never joke and say, ah, oh, come on, you're just being stupid. Ah, oh, come on, you right. better, yeah, don't be silly. Right. Because they hear every word an adult says and they try the word on. You say it often enough and they go, well, I guess I am. Yeah. I guess I must be. Do you think you that... can't joke like that. Yeah. Do you think that helped drive you to accomplish all that you've accomplished? Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to prove the bastards wrong. I'm, I'm not stupid. I am smart. Do you know what? I, I bet that's true. I, I, I bet that's true. Because in my heart, I said, wow, I don't think I'm stupid, but I must be. But oh I, I, had, I went after what I wanted with a vengeance. Right. That is true. But in, but in your heart of hearts, you didn't think you were. In my heart of hearts, I didn't think I was, but I believed I was. Right. And when did you that... You know, that's, that's why you... And then also because my brain didn't work very well in school, I was, you know... And so you, you, you ask a child what they're great at, and every child will tell you they know what they're great at. So we have to start teaching those kids how they learn, not what we think they should learn. Mm. You've talked that's about... What, that, that's the change, I think, that we need to have in a, an educational system. I'm assuming you feel more rewarded doing this work than any acting job in the world. Well, you know what? That I, I, I'm, I'm the most proud of the books, but I love the fact that I'm still able to um, to do the work that I dreamt of when I was seven. Yeah. I, I Did you ever think when you first started doing this that um, that you would reach this, this level of success that you reached? I mean, every young actor dreams of it, of course. You dream that's, of it, That's yes. part of it. Yeah. But you but you made it happen. Did, did you think? But you know what? Some of it is luck and some of it sure. is... Like, I go back to the day that I auditioned at Paramount Studios for Happy Days, and I think to myself, what would happen if that didn't happen to me? Mm. What would I have to, what would my life have been? Yeah. Would I have found something else? Would it, would it never have panned out this way? Would I be living in a very small apartment because that's what I could afford. Right. As opposed to a small apartment because I had a daughter with a credit card and this is all I can afford. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember getting the call that you had gotten the job? Yeah, I was, I, I do remember. Where were uh, you? I was in New York. Uh, we had done the pilot uh, in October. I went back to New York for Thanksgiving and got the call over Thanksgiving that we were picked up and we were going to um, 
make several episodes, at least 12. And you knew, okay, at least I have 12 paychecks coming in. Yeah, and, and this was my really first big television show. So I, and the, 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 you know, I got $1,000 a week, um, more than I ever have made before. Yeah. Um, I, I packed my bags and I moved from New York to California, uh, not knowing what a roulette game it was. Right. You know, that you, you get a series, but the getting it on the air, then keeping it on the air, then yeah. having it even run more than one season is like lifting a camel off the ground with your bare hands and pushing it through the eye of a needle. Did, did anyone, did older actors and directors and kind of crew members say that to you? Did they say you have... I don't remember that conversation. Right, right. All I remember is going to work and trying to make it be the best it can be. Right. And then, then realizing I've got this unbelievable acting partner in Ron Howard. And that that connection it immediately was uncanny. Do you remember the first time you met him? Like at the, I'm assuming it was at a table read, or maybe you met him at the at the. Do you I remember? met him on stage 19. Wow. And my first interaction with him, and I mean, I, I've said I've told this story, but. I was um, frustrated with a joke, yeah. and I punched my script with my hand, mm. holding it with one hand, punching it with the other, going, this is, I can't make this work. And he put his arm around my shoulder, and he walked me to the back of the soundstage, soundstage 19, and he said, you know, let's not hit our script. They're working as hard as they can. I said, Ron... I will never hit my script again. <laughs> and I didn't. He was a director even then. He was a director, and I'm telling you, Nate, he was yeah. the wisest person I had ever met. And he was 18, and I was 27. Holy cow. And you knew it then. You thought, this guy... This is... guy, you knew it then. Yeah. This guy is, is to be cherished. Wow. That's what I thought. How wonderful. God, what luck to be paired luck. with such a... No? Not luck? Yes. Yeah. Yes, right. completely. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, oh, my God. Right. It, it... Your number came up. The number came up. I, I put it on 30 red, <laughs> and that ball fell right on where it was supposed to be. Yeah. Will you tell me a little bit about Yale? Because I'm fascinated by these prestigious MFA programs and, and whether okay, or not I made so a mistake not going to one. I tried out. I, 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 it was, I think it was the only one that I auditioned for. Yeah. 25 actors start, and you have rigorous training. The first thing you have to buy is this uh, manufactured kind of cape uh, that it has different um, uh, layers, and they're all um, uh, snapped together. Uh -huh. It can be a cape, it can be a skirt, it can be a kilt, it can be um, a kimono. It, right. This one fabric, this one piece of blue fabric, could be anything that um, is required in the scene that you're um, doing with your partner for the teacher. So that was my first purchase at the drama school. Did you go with one of your classmates to go skirt shopping together, or did you do this all? No, no, no. You, you, the, um, they, they have it at the school, and you buy it from them the, on the second day. I gotcha. Did... And then you have 13 different teachers, some of them magnificent, Yeah. some of them you forget. I always think that no matter what you're doing, doing when you're learning, you're um, like a sponge, and you soak up all of the wet, yeah. and then you wring yourself dry, and the moisture you're left with are the lessons you will take with you. Wow. That's a, that's a wonderful way to look at it. Do you remember feeling so, incredibly vulnerable that it was a... Or did almost you just... every minute of my life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But not I, right now. So, it's so true, I can't even begin to tell you. It is, uh, it's, it is the, the pain in your neck. I'm not allowed to say ass on radio, am I? Oh, no. this is the internet. You can say whatever oh, you do. pain damn, in my ass. Goddamn right. It is. I, I hate it. I hate being so insecure. I played a guy on television who was the coolest guy. I wasn't close. But if you don't have that that electricity that 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 electrical fear running through your body, I don't know necessarily for me anyway if I could create. I I agree in a way. I think it takes they t- talent may be impossible to describe, but I feel like one of the biggest things that an actor needs, maybe the most important tool is sensitivity. Yeah, that's a, also a great thing for life. Sure, but it we cuts know. both ways. It yeah. it helps you and then also uh, punishes you. Especially well, because you are so um, uh, you you're so open to what the world is reacting to um, you know as you walk push through the air yeah did you study acting i i did but i didn't study it at a university i studied it at this summer theater that i trained at where uh williamstown the williamstown oh i know it well yeah you gotta do we should do a play there you and i yeah absolutely we're gonna make that how about we do well um, see that scares me because you know on harry's law your some of your closing arguments were oh, come on. As, as good as it gets. Come on, come on. No, 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 I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I mean, it just is the truth, and that's the way it is. Oh, Jesus, Henry, thank you. That... I act with your brother, I give him no compliments. Well, he isn't as... He is a confused guy. He is, He's just he? floating through life with that bald head of his. He's gonna... He made good choices when it came to women, though. Boy, did he ever. Smartest yeah. smartest decision he ever made in his life. Yeah. Uh that that I know as a as an absolute fact. Yeah. Um thank you for saying that. You and I should do Amadeus. You can play Salieri and I'll play Amadeus. Okay. What do you That's say? A deal. All right, that was easy. I'll see you at rehearsals. Yeah. See you later. But when one of my uh teachers at Yale, uh the directing teacher, Nikos Sakharopoulos. Yeah, Sakharopoulos, right. He founded Williamstown. He founded Williamstown. Right. Uh, did he, was this, uh, I, I think he, I think it's about 50 years old now. I think he founded in 19, oh, I don't know, 60, something yeah, around somewhere. there. And were people going there for the summer from your... From Absolutely. Your, really? You had to be asked. Who, do you remember, do you still, are you still close with people Everybody from Everybody was asked but me. Come on. So let's not go there, okay? <laughs> but why do you think you weren't asked? <laughs> you got the wrong skirt, Henry, is what happened. You bought the red one instead of the black I one. I had it inside out. My, my, my entire acting style was inside out until like 1975. Can... Uh... <laughs> You you said um, again. I'm quoting you from. I've watched so many interviews in the last yeah. three days. You said in an interview that life started for you at 27. When you that's got, true. That cannot be true. It is true. What it happened true. the, the I, 26 I, years uh, before that? That's when I got. Uh, that's when I got happy days. But you lived a life before that. I did live a life, but not well. What do you mean, not well? I I was. I I didn't enjoy. I was always worried. Yeah. I was less worried for a period there while I was doing the show. And then um then I got worried again and then it took me another 15 years to calm down. What changed? I wanted to. Mm. Ah. Right. I think that that is, you know, I, you, I realize that that's it. That's it right there. Huh? That, I, that's it. You summed it up because you wanted to. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I realize um, as a dad, you see something that your child is doing, or you see that they are um, taking uh, to heart some bully at school, or or you know some kid who is 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 me, and you tell them, you know, it's not really true, and don't, and it's not you, and don't worry about it. It's the other kid's problem, and it's like you're speaking Russian. Yeah. Until your emotionality learns Russian. And then the penny drops. Right. And then you kick yourself in the tush because you think, whoa, did I waste a lot of time. Right. Why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I do this earlier? Well, it's awful scary, isn't it? It is. It's terrifying to let go of that. It's, uh, I'm not there yet, certainly. I'm trying. But yeah. that's, that's not easy to let go of it. because You, you know feel what? Like... You said something that's, you said the most important thing. I'm trying. Yeah. That's all you need. That's, that's what you can do. And then out of that trying comes the, the next phase. Growth. Whatever that is of living. Right. When you were diagnosed uh, as dyslexic when you were 31, was it, was it a relief in a sense? First I was pissed off. Right. Because I had so many arguments. So many punishments. Goddamn, right. And then I thought that was all for nothing. It was all for nothing. And then I realized that now I look at it and I think, whew, I, if I wasn't dyslexic and I didn't fight through it, would I be here on yeah. the phone with you? Right, right. That's a great question. Were, were your folks um, still around when you were, when you were diagnosed? Uh, yes. Uh, when when my, my youngest son... My my oldest son was um, diagnosed in the third grade. They were, but but you know there was no conversation to be had with them anyway. Were they unsympathetic when you were younger to your struggles, or were they? Well, they, 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 you first of all, they, I don't think anybody knew that there was such a thing. But even then, even if you don't know that there's a thing, you can look at your child and say, "Wow, that kid's having a hard time." I think I'm going to support him, or I think I'm going to make his life a little harder. Yeah. I think I'm going to punish him. I think yeah. I'm going to yell at him. Right. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I wrote letters home, and my father would send them back to me corrected. Wow. What would you do with those letters? Well, I kept some of them just so that people wouldn't think I was crazy. Right. When, when did dyslexia start getting like, diagnosed regularly? When did it, was it like in the 80s, or was it before then? No, I don't think so. I think, um, uh, I think it was in the 80s. Maybe they started talking about it. Um, right. And listen, even now, you know, it... it School systems don't deal with it because it's too expensive. Yeah. Costs more money. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't spend money on children in America. And the reason is, honest to God, there is no campaign contribution right. that a child is going to make. Right, exactly. Yeah. That is, that's not... Cynicism that's out of the mouth of more politicians than I can tell you. Yeah. yeah. When they will, will secretly tell you why nothing gets done for children in this country. So then we have to be the advocates. Right. A parent, someone, you know, who just has been through it. But that's really it, isn't that? That's amazing, I think. Yeah. No yeah. money in it. No, yeah, it's very candid, but it's the truth. That my, one of the lessons my father taught me when I was young, and yeah. remains with me today. And I and I'll is take he a this. politician. <laughs> he is not. No, okay. he is. He is not. Okay. But he told me uh, two things that always stuck with me. But the first, and related to what we're talking about, is that it, he said, Nathan, it always comes down to the almighty dollar, mm-hmm. and he is right, just oh about every. Every single time, yeah, it comes down to the dollar, no matter uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I 
that is, unfortunately in this country, yeah. probably in others, but in this country, that is completely true. There's a really famous um, musical lawyer, a guy who handles all of the great stars, Alan Grubman, and he said, it's never about the money. It's only about the money. There you go. What makes a what makes a really good children's book? I the truth. Huh? If you write something that comes from your center, yeah. When you write the true experience, children go and they this is what they write me. Mm. How do you know me so well? No kidding. Because children get the truth. And if you try and you try and write them, um, you know, and, and try to, you know, think you're being clever with them, they'll, they'll just... Uh, See they'll through you. It. Yeah. You said in an... In and also, uh, here's the other thing. Yeah. Humor. Right. Funny. Every kid loves to laugh. I think so. You said in an interview also that all children have greatness in them. Is That is true. Is that true? Because I've met some kids who are just real assholes. Yes, the, uh, there are. There are some. Uh, are these grown-up kids? or No, or these kid are kids who are just little jerks. These are little jerks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little jerks. I shouldn't joke. Um, I, I have talked to the toughest kids. Yeah. And the most genteel kids. And I find them all the same. Huh. A child wants to be acknowledged. They want to be seen. That's what, you know, going back, that's what Achievement for All does. Yeah. They see the child. Hmm. And don't just say, well, we're going to teach, um, everybody's going to, you know, get taught the same kind of stuff. Where can my listeners find your books? I'm assuming they're, they're well, everywhere. Well, hopefully in any good bookstore, Amazon, Yeah. Uh, you know, um, mom and pop shops, so you can yeah. ask them and they'll order it order from it, yeah. Penguin or from Scholastic. Because there's a third series called Ghost Buddy. Yeah. And Ghost Buddy is about don't judge a book by its cover. Two boys who think they would never be friends. They couldn't possibly have anything in common. One is a ghost and one is a, a sixth grader. <laughs> have, have these been published? <laughs> and, uh, they have been published by Scholastic. Oh, okay. How many are in this series? There are four. Okay. Are you writing, are you writing more? Is this a continuing, continuing no, right series? No, right now we're writing Here's Hank. Here's We've Hank, right. Four ghost buddies. But... It is that these, you know, the, these two beings um, find out that uh, they have a lot to offer each other. You don't judge a book by its cover. You'd also written a book on fly fishing called I Never Met an Idiot on a River, Reflections yes, on true. Family, Photography, and Fly Fishing. How did you get into fly fishing? Because I'm I was fascinated at, by it. Um, uh, oh, uh, I was at my oldest son's wedding. Let me just say, can I just say right now, I am outlawing destination weddings. I am on your side for that. Yes. It took two planes and a boat. For, fuck off. Forget it. I will be your vice presidential candidate you on that in. ticket. Uh, that okay. is our message. No more destination <laughs> weddings. That is crazy. It's insane. It's asking a lot. I had to move five people on two planes and a boat. Oh, good Lord. I mean, it was kind of beautiful, but like I got over the resentment of my own son's wedding, like Ugh. just before the ceremony. <laughs> you were wa walking <laughs> to your seat. <laughs> uh, was, it, was it before or after you put on your, your tux? Was oh, it there was no tux. I wore um, <laughs> uh, crocodiles, crocs. Oh, wow. Cash. Yeah. A casual wedding. Cash wedding. Will you take me fly stand. fishing uh, someday? Say it again? Will you take me fly fishing someday? Oh, my God, yeah. I'd love to do it. I fished I'm a lot telling of my... you, it is, 
I, it's, it is like the best thing a human being can do on this earth. Wow. Is it just meditative? What, what? It's meditative. It's cleansing. Yeah. It's fun. It's zen. It's um, beautiful. It's um, wow. peaceful. Yeah. Uh, and you feel good because catching that that fish, catching that trout is very difficult. And then negotiating it in is difficult. Then you take a picture. I sign an autographed picture, put it in its mouth, and send it back on its way. <laughs> there are fish at the bottom of many rivers that have my picture on their nest. Henry Winkler has been my guest today. He is an actor, director, producer, and he writes books, specifically children's books. If you have any kind of child in your life, do yourself a favor and go out to your local bookstore and pick up either Hank Zipser or or the Ghost Buddies series. There's so many choices. Henry's a wonderful, generous, and kind guy, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on Reading Aloud. Thank you, Henry. Did we have fun or what? Oh, man, you're the best. You're the fucking best. Thank you, no, sir. No, really, that, I, I, that was a great conversation. Did you enjoy it? I really did. Good, good. I was I was nervous about this one because you're you're a, a important man of letters. Do you know what I mean? You have. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. All I know is, I'm really glad I know you. I'm glad you asked me. I'm glad we did this. That's uh, what I know. I love you dearly, Henry. You're the best. Yeah, you're did the absolute best. I really think that interview was the most um, uh, maybe revealing and candid interview I've had so far on the show. Henry is just so honest, and he's, uh, yeah, he just doesn't hold back. And it was, uh, it was really fun to talk to him. Um, God, he's the best. He's so great. Uh, my final piece this week is by the wonderful Erin Hayes. She's come in before. You've heard her read um, the groupie story, which was in the previous episode of Reading Aloud. Um, and I just can't get enough of her because she's an unbelievably talented woman and, and I want to work with her all the time. Uh, so she read this story that I found in a collection um, of short stories. I'm reading so many short stories now because I'm trying to find content for the show. So it's kind of, I'm not reading as many novels, which is kind of frustrating, but um, I found this collection of short stories. I think it's called How to Be a Man, where... The editors asked a bunch of different authors to use that sentence, how to be a man, as a jumping off point for a short story. And Jess Walter wrote this one uh, in response to that question or that sentence. Um, and it's great. And Aaron brings, really brings it to life. And uh, I just wish I could have Aaron on every week because she's so wonderful. This is uh, Jess Walters, How to Be a Man, read by the amazing Aaron Hayes. Oh, that fucking Peter Pan hit-and-run cocksucker. Thoughtless asshole, selfish prick. Not that she should be surprised. Marcus was a bolter, a runner. He always left in the dark. It's like dating Houdini, she used to tell her friends. Maggie could cuff him, straitjacket him, lock him in a steamer trunk, and at 3 a.m., the goddamn commitment foe would tiptoe out in the dark, belt undone, shoes in hand. Yeah, I'm not big on good morning, he used to say, shorthand, for I'm going to keep fucking other women. No, it, it wasn't that she was surprised. Marcus was an immature, womanizing douche tool when they'd met three years ago, which was okay then. After 18 months of shotgun marriage, the last thing Maggie wanted was another lousy husband. But how could someone so happy with himself ever change? No, honestly, what bothered her was that it bothered her. She'd known just what she was getting last night. She'd wanted just this, to feel his weight, to lose herself, Marcus inside. So why did waking up alone now make her feel like such a failure as a feminist or an existentialist, or what? Shouldn't it be enough to get laid? To smell him in the bed, see the indentation in the other pillow, think, oh, good fuck, right, move on. 
Instead, she felt empty and on the verge of tears, certain she would spend the rest of her life as a pathetic, bitter, single mother, bullshit cliché. You know, her thoughts looping into a woman's magazine quiz she'd taken during the whole Marcus breakup. Will he ever commit? And then, worst of all, to her mother's pet word, used. Of all the fucking words. No one had used anyone. Why did she feel fucked and put away? Yeah, she had the urge to sue someone, her mom, or or Marcus, or those girls from eighth grade, or the Catholic Church. You know, maybe a class action suit against the makers of that word, used. Maybe it was just time and place, the circumstances that made her feel so awful. The shock of seeing him last night for the first time in six months. Having him show up at the wake like that. Your dad would have hated that I was here, huh? Marcus looked great in a suit, my God. Those cyclist shoulders and hips. And then the Jameson started flowing and the stories. And it was nice to laugh. And Marcus half apologized for not calling for so long. And even if it was bullshit, it was nice. And when they were walking to their cars, she practically willed him to say something, anything. So when he looked over at the parking lot and said simply, well, that was all it took. She was helpless, incapable of coming up with a pro-con list or a thought, because at that moment, there were only two things in the universe, alone and Marcus. And last night, she could not do alone. Maggie sat up in bed. She looked down at her breasts. Was there any lasting benefit from something like last night? Any residue? It had been six months since she'd had sex, and now it had been six hours. But did being touched have any weight the next day, any value. It wasn't like she could feel his hands anymore, like she could feel anything, except sadness, a yawning sense of alone. Maggie opened her nightstand for some Advil, and that's when she noticed, in the corner on the floor, behind the bathroom door in a heap, a gray suit jacket. She heard faint voices then from the kitchen. She got out of bed, pulled her robe on, and went downstairs. In the kitchen, Dustin stood on a chair across from Marcus, They were eye to eye, each holding neckties. They were a foot apart, shirtless, and they had the ties looped around their bare necks. Marcus was in his boxer shorts, Dustin in his transformer pajama pants. Do what I do, Marcus said, like looking in a mirror. Shoulder blades jutted from Dustin's tiny pale back. Cross the woods, Marcus said. Cross the woods, Dustin said. Over the hill, Marcus said. Over, Dustin said. Around, around, behind, behind. And through, through. Perfect. Now turn around and show your mom, Marcus said. Dustin turned. He beamed, surprised to see his mother in the doorway. Look, he said, I'm wearing Grandpa's tie. The tie was blue with little red sailing flags. It hung past Dustin's feet. He must have gotten it out of the box in the living room that Maggie's stepmother sent home with her. It was looped in the sort of unmanageable knot Dustin always got in his sneakers. Maggie wondered then if there wasn't just one ache in the world. Sad, happy, horny, drunk, sorry, satisfied, grieving, lonely. If we believed these to be different feelings, but they all came from the same sweet, unbearable spring. Marcus had made coffee. He handed her a cup. She put it to her lips until she could speak again. And finally she said to her son in a half whisper, It looks so good on you, baby. That was Erin Hayes. Um, thank you, Erin. Gosh, she's so great. Um, that was just Walter's How to Be a Man from the short story collection of the same name. And that's our show. Uh, some reminders. Again, book club is coming up fast and furious, so make sure that you go and pick up The Laughing Monsters by Dennis Johnson and give it a read. Um, try it out. Also, live show coming up on... Sunday, January 25th at the UCB Theater. For tickets, you can go to ucbtheater.com and get a ticket there. And we'll be back next week with a new interview and brand new readings because that's what we do every week here on Reading Aloud. We have new content for you all the time. Also, theme music, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Possessed by, by Paul James. He's amazing. The song is called The Hurricane find his stuff on iTunes. Uh, He's great. He's one of my favorites. Uh, My name is Nate Cordry. I host the show. And I'll see you next week. Oh, yeah!
Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.